Voices, a fresh perspective on voting, politics, and power. So, um, just to start off, uh, everybody just introduced themselves because we're all from different places, which is great. Um, you know, just start off with your name, your pronouns, and where you're from. So, yeah, if Anika, you could go first, and then we just, yeah, yeah. We'll go right around. So, hi, everyone. Welcome. Thank you guys so much for joining us today. I'm Anika. I go by she, her pronouns, and I live out here in Westchester, Pennsylvania. Um, Vex. Oh, I'm Vex, and I use they, them pronouns, and I live in North Carolina. Zane. Okay. Um, I'm Zane. I uh, use she, her pronouns, and I am from Philadelphia, PA. <laughs> um, and last but certainly not least, uh, Star. <laughs> Hi guys, um, I'm from Boston, so yeah, I use she/her pronouns. Period. Um, yeah, my name's Amir, and I use he/him or any pronouns, but usually he/him. And I'm from Philly, so um, yeah. So thank y'all for being on this podcast, as y'all probably. Um, saw it's called coming as you are um, because you know I think the queer experience is about coming as you are and not really altering any part of your personality to fit anyone else's standards so um, yeah so I guess the first topic we want to start off with which is like a huge one because this this word is being used differently depending on the person what is what are y'all I mean what is y'all definition of the word queer um and we can start with Zane um with that yeah okay um my definition of queer um I don't I think the the beautiful thing about being queer is that it's it's there's no one way to be queer so my question my answer to the question would be like there there isn't i don't have a definition of being queer my definition is just being you and if you just so happen to fall under the umbrella that is queer then oh well i feel like that's the best way my most authentic answer can we just like go like (laughs) (laughs) oh my goodness Um, that was epitome of answers right there that was good that was good yes if I else want to jump in feel free um this is kind of just like conversation <laughs> I could go um I find it queerness to be like someone who just breaks out of the norms coming out of the box of society that has or has the box society has placed mm. and finding who you are outside of that box mm. that's that's my definition personally yes and that's so great, Bex. Like, I know Samir and I were talking about that earlier, that it's not about being one type of person, but it's just about being yourself. Kind of like how Zane was talking about, it's just embracing yourself as a person outside these labels. Yeah. How about you, Star? Um, well, before, like, I would, um, I would have, like, a really strict idea of what being queer was. I saw it as, like, I don't know. Um, for example, like one time, my history teacher who was gay 
was talking about, you know, his experience as a gay man in history class. And I said, oh, are you queer? Because people use that, you know, as an umbrella term. And he was like, yeah, I'm queer too. And some kids like were confused about that in a class. So I kind of um, identified queer with being like your sexual orientation or, you know, what you identified as. But not talking to Samir and like just being here, I'm realizing it's more of you breaking out of the t- like Eurocentric blue standards or Eurocentric um, gender norms or of colonization, things like that, you know, breaking out of things that have really kept marginalized people into bounds. So, yeah. Mm, that was a great answer. Thank you all for sharing. Um, Anika, do you want to go just to share your definition? Um, sure. So really building off what Star said, I think I've learned a lot recently about what it means to be queer. And for me, I feel like the biggest thing would be to embrace your own history as well as your own personality and being queer is just following the type of behaviors and I guess what's the word for it being yourself in a system that is only designed for two types of people being male and I say that with air quotes and being female with air quotes where in reality it's about being whoever you want to be in a world that tries to fit you into labels. So it's really just about embracing yourself, um, even when it means that other people aren't ready for that. And I think there's still a lot to learn in that aspect. So I think from there, um, that gives us a really good jumping off point into something we wanted to talk about next. Really just getting into how has queer representation or a lack thereof affected your life or perception of what it means to be queer? And this can range from anything from social media to family members to friends. How has this impacted you or the community that you live in? Um, so yeah, growing up, I did not have like any queer, you know, representation. And it was very like um, heteronormative. So even my parents did all to like, oh, like my parents like they're Nigerian, so like kind of like traditional. Mm. And like homophobic I would say um so they'd be like oh I'm gonna marry her off to like a man and I never like I never really thought much about gender roles and queerness or you know queer icons or activists that have really you know transformed the society in the way we think until I got into middle school and I started really thinking about you know the way our society works and you know the way we act and why do we have like you know women and men bathrooms like what does it really mean to be a man or a woman you know do we have to be put into these genders like I don't know so um yeah I never really had like a like a lot of representation but now I am still learning Hmm. I would say that the I'm just gonna look over the question again and I think that the lack of queer representation has affected my life in like many ways, like I I feel like it's a very common occurrence for queer people to go through this like confused, self-hating like way. And then once you finally accept like like the fact that you're queer, there's like, I'd like to think of them as stages. There's like, there's this stage where you try to fit somehow your queerness into the heteronormative world. 
So you think about, oh, am I a masculine person, a feminine person? And if I'm a feminist person, a feminine person, I need to be with a masculine person, things like that. I think that because there was no representation, I didn't grow up hearing about Marsha P. Johnson. I didn't grow up hearing about people who broke those gender norms, who made it acceptable for people like me to exist. It, it, it damaged me and it damaged a lot of queer people because it made it harder for me to see myself in this world, navigating through this world. Yes, like period, yes. Um, and you mentioned Marsha P and and I like to call, you know, Marsha P like a transcestor, like, you know, how people have ancestors, like transcestor, you know, like Octavia St. Laurent, um, Marsha P, um, like these are people that we don't hear about until we become radical and it should not be like that, right? Like we should hear about these people in the classroom. Like, why are we not, right? Like it's, it's just, you know, such important people that are being, you know, excluded from our history. And even if the people who are queer are being included, they usually leave out the queerness. Like we talk about Langston Hughes, but they leave out the gay, right? Or we talk about James Baldwin and we only read Go Tell It on the Mountain or The Fire next time, but we never read Giovanni's Room. Like, you know, it, it it's weird. Like, why are we leaving out such important parts of our history? Um, but yeah, I'm sorry before I like, keep ranting. Anybody else wanna go? No, yeah, I agree with you. I haven't really been educated on these people. I've, these are names I've never heard before. But when I was younger, I would actively search for my sources of representation, specifically with gay people, because I was one struggling with it secretly. Uh, fortunately, my parents aren't homophobic, but they weren't people who talked about it whatsoever. Um, so like every night on YouTube, I would look like, uh, I would look up books, films, movies, TV shows, anything that have this representation in my life, because it just made me feel better. Um, but yeah. Yes, thank you uh, for sharing. I know with me, again, this is the norm for queer people, unfortunately, but I didn't also did not grow up with representation. And the representation I did grow up with was very heteronormative. Um, or they were just very, it was, it was a very repressive type environment. Um, like it, it was just like, I have an aunt who, who is lesbian, but that didn't necessarily add or take away from my experience just because it was mainly within like heteronorms. And, and that's, you know, that's unfortunately how it is. Um, and also Zane brought this up, right? When you're so used to seeing everything in like a binary and like colonized view, it shows up in your relationships, right? So in my like sort of gay awakening, I was like, okay, I'm a feminine person, so I must be with a masculine person. And I got myself into horrible relationships because of that. Like, yeah, the guy was masculine or whatever, but it was horrible. <laughs> like I thought that that was like the dream. It, and it wasn't like, you know, I feel like decolonizing my brain and like taking those steps really allowed me to have healthy relationships with my friends and, you know, with romantic partners too. Like, and, and it's so sad how queer people get stuck in these really like toxic relationships because we literally don't know what a queer relationship looks like. 
Um, so yeah, that's sort of what I have to say about that. Yeah, and to speak to that a little bit, you think about just growing up, these are such formative years from, honestly, all the way from kindergarten through middle school, through high school, these are the parts of your life where you are finding out who you are. Like when you study psychology, I remember learning about this whole unit where it's just dedicated to someone forming their identity. And when you think about how a whole aspect of who you are, the entire part of who you are is not represented in society, you feel like you don't fit in. And I think what I'm learning to be is so detrimental is that you don't discover that until later on in life when you look back and realize I did have a community. There were people who didn't want to just be a male and a female or didn't want to just be feminine mixed with masculine. There's this whole group of people who are like me, but because you don't see that growing up, you don't realize, you don't get to like grow up with that mindset. You don't get to have your own goals. I remember Samir saying earlier that the dream, I say that in air quotes, um, is to be with a girlfriend having a boyfriend or vice versa. And then you learn that that's not the case. It's just being with someone who you can be yourself with. And that's why it's so important that we start teaching this young. I know my mom works with DE&I, diversity, equity, and inclusion. And one of the biggest thing that she talks about is that you have to start young. You have to start teaching these kids that what we've grown up with is not the norm anymore. And the fact that there should be no norms they yeah. should know that whatever they want to be and whoever they want to be with is totally normal and that they shouldn't have to try and fit into any sort of labels or look to certain movies that everyone else points out as their life. Because a movie is written by someone who wants to represent one point of their lives, but it's very, very subjective. You cannot, like, if the only thing you're seeing is what people want you to see on social media and in movies, you have to consider how much of the world are we taking away from these kids and how much are we not representing? Right, yeah. And and to touch on like the whole movies thing and just media in general, the only representation we get is on TikTok. <laughs> like, if I'm really right? being honest, can we just discuss that? Like, Not even. Yep. Not even. The way that I really had no idea how to formulate or identify with my trans idea my identity before TikTok. And then even then, it was no trans women who looked like me. They were all palatable, white, passable trans women who were afforded the luxury of transitioning at 11 and all of that. So even when we're talking about representation, are we talking about representation of intersectional identities? Or are we talking about just people who are trans, but not too trans? People who mm. are queer, but not too queer? Mm-hmm. Because just like everything else, this whole, our whole identities are spectrums and fluid, and they're allowed to be. But when we're showed people who are afforded these luxuries, who are palatable to all viewers, which is really just white people, then we often feel excluded in our own communities, these safe spaces that are supposed to be just for us. Mm, wow. Yeah. And and also, like, with the whole representation thing that you touched on, even with the whole thing about nail polish and dresses, right, 
And most of this time, most of the time I'm seeing that on TikTok is of like white straight men who are kind of adopting queer aesthetics, mm-hmm. right? And it's like, um, where is the actual credit being given here? Because mm-hmm. queer queer people have been doing this for I don't know how long, and all people getting credit is Harry Styles, like any white boys who yeah. are painting their nails black and doing a bit of smudgy eyeliner. <laughs> Okay. Well, as long as it's trendy, they get. I guess sorry to butt in here, but that's the other big thing that I see. It's only acceptable when it's trending, and mm. that's a big problem because TikTok and social media platforms like this are so based off of clout and views that people are doing everything to get these views and to get these likes. Mm-hmm. It's totally taking away from the fact that what does it mean to be queer? Being queer is not. The equivalent of nail polish. Sure, you wear nail polish. That's great. But when some social media influencer who knows nothing about those experiences now tries to adopt it and almost fake it, that's really taking away time that should be dedicated to people speaking out about their experiences. They're now being hidden trying to compete just to share their voice. Right. Um, Just hopping off of that idea. When we're when 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 it becomes trendy, all of a sudden the idea of being trans is automatically this non-binary trans mass skinny white guy, white person who who's androgynous. When in reality, being non-binary is more than androgyny. Being trans is more than putting on a wig and makeup. Being trans is an identity and a lifestyle. And when people are shown similar things like I have a platform on TikTok for example and I say I'm trans people say no you don't wear wigs so you're just a feminine gay guy Hmm. excuse me you see that's where the issue lies because oftentimes when things are trends it's not a holistic view of what a community actually is it's just one thing oh that person's hot that's trend that's Hmm. trend Mm -hmm. that's what trans people look like when in reality, there's all about three trans uh, creators on TikTok that look like me. Dark skin, trans women, existent, non-existent. Your comment about someone saying, oh, you're trans, but you don't wear a wig. It's the equivalent to like, oh, you're gay, you don't look gay. And that's a very big problem because what is looking gay? Is it, you know, a masculine or a man dressing feminine uh or is it a female dressing masculine like what is to look gay like i don't that doesn't make sense mm-hmm. one big pet peeve this is kind of off topic but one of my big pet peeves is when like people are like you're too pretty to be trans you're too pretty to be gay oh okay And I think really building off of that, one big problem, well, I guess two big problems that I see is that there's these, I'm imagining these poles right now, like the world has a North Pole and the South Pole and people really try to put you on a spectrum. But the problem with that is that spectrum has male and female. You can't possibly define someone who is trans, who is queer, who is just generally not in this binary system by defining them on a binary scale. Right. And I know these are all like 
theoretical terms here. There's no such thing as a binary scale, but like you can't say someone looks queer because, or doesn't look queer because they look too much like a man or a female. That mm. kind of defeats the whole purpose of them expressing themselves as queer. Mm. Yeah, and one thing I want to talk about, it, um, touching on binaries, right? Let's talk about why POC experience harsh gender norms because that has been the thing I've been wanting to touch on for a while. When we talk about um, black men, especially, we ex we expect them to be so masculine, so like you know, like strong and protective, right? Why is that when we talk about um, you know people of color that we expect them to conform to gender roles and much more uh, you know harsh? If anybody want to talk about that? Um, yeah. <laughs> I can um, take your first stab at this. Oh, um, go ahead. Zane, no, you can go. Okay. Um, so I guess I can kind of speak from two different point of views because I was raised by a kind of raised by a, um, uh, immigrant father from West Africa, and I had a very American traditional mom. Um, and I felt really harsh gender norms by both of them. You know, one was coming because that was his religion, my dad's religion, his last name, all of that meant so much to him and me being his firstborn, his firstborn son, I say with air quotes. Um, it, it just, so much pressure on that and so the idea that like like the only way he could see success in himself is if he saw success in me and the moment that I like I what's it called I drifted from what he saw for himself and his child was the moment that he realized that that queer or not I, there was there was something wrong there was something that he needed to fix because his child couldn't be gay his child couldn't be queer and same thing with my mother, it's my, I feel like a lot of parents, a lot of POC parents see their child as an extension of themselves, not in the, oh, I'm gonna love this extension person, this extension, and I'm gonna love them and flourish them, but more like, uh, I'm gonna live my life through you. Mm. So the dreams that I have that I never got to go through, I, you will now live through those. And the moment that we drift into our own identities, it's an issue, especially wow. with these gender norms that are supposedly going back to like prehistoric times where men are supposed to be hunters and women are supposed to be child makers, essentially. Right. Anybody else want to touch on that before I make my... my... I... I completely agree um, with what Zane was saying. I was also um, raised by like West African parents, like I'm Nigerian. And um, like, it's just, <laughs> um, I think it has to do um, a lot with survival as well. Yes. When we look at who is, um, you know, um, um, but yeah, like when we look at like who is like the poster child for queerness or for gay people it is a white man, like a skinny, like flamboyant white man. And it's like, what? 
you know, it's kind of like you're erasing the people who started this movement. Where are the two-spirit indigenous people? Like, where are they? Like, no one talks about them. And I think it has to do with the fact that white people can afford to step out of the box and to challenge society because society was made to honor their whiteness. And mm -hmm. with us, it's really just like, you know, especially coming from parents, we're here to survive. We're not here to, um, we're not here to follow our dreams. We're here to make that money. Yeah, and live. We're yeah. not here, we're not here to, oh, I'm so sorry. That is so dead out. No. But, but we're not here, like, especially coming from um, a lower socioeconomic class and being black on top of that, we are not here. We are taught from a very young age we are not here to follow our dreams. I used to want to be an artist. I was told constantly, consistently, you're not going to make money like that. You need, okay. a, you need a job that's actually going to give you money. And I'm like, okay, now I'm getting into the modeling industry and I'm actually making money. Now their whole view of my life has changed mm -hmm, because I'm making money. And that's as long as I'm making money, as long as I'm making enough money to put my parents to shame then I'm good you know what I'm saying as long as I'm making enough money to survive then they're successful parents parents nowadays coming from the generation before us don't see their children as people they see them as extensions of them as 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 I like to think of like tunnels where they could tunnel their generational trauma into yeah. us they can tunnel our, their expectations into us and then they say deal just deal with it go ahead star i'm sorry <laughs> wanted to quickly add um like also back to what zane was saying because you were dropping like a lot of you know right old, yes percent. Uh, <laughs> but um like about being palatable and being a dark-skinned trans woman, like I find that a lot of like, you know, black women have to prove um, their femininity or like, you know, have to go against being masculine the whole entire way. That was me in middle school. Like I would get told to act like a man that mm -hmm. this skin girl was um, more beautiful than me because she had looser curls and my hair was like, you know, type four, 4C and it really hurt me. I'm just not realizing. Like, it really did make me look at myself differently and be like, um, like, why is my skin this dark? Like, why is my nose this big? And it just, I feel like it really made me never want to explore different sides of fashion or how I want to present myself to the world. Um, so that aspect as well. Right. No, I um, completely agree. Oh, sorry. <laughs> go ahead. Go ahead. I would just like to um, say that for like my dad has two girls uh, before my little sister, but me and my older sister, and has a wife. So there's nothing but women and him, and he likes to work outside a lot. And you know how men, quote unquote, usually work outside, and he doesn't have a son. So we were kind of like forced to work outside with him. So we kind of just broke outside of those norms of like women working in the house whatever i mean we still do that but as like a necessity rather than just norms i mean he doesn't clean the house because you know he's a man and my mom does most of the work because she's a woman basically that's 
kind of like their view but yeah fortunately i was not put in strict norms uh, because of my parents and my mom is mexican and my dad's puerto rican and i don't see a lot of that put into their culture or into our culture um, some mexican cultures though usually have the macho the man of the house but if you don't have a man in the house it's up to the women to work both ways and yeah you bring up like i think these are some of the most hard to get rid of or how to be norms in society it's something that this quarantine i came to the realization that this is something that almost developed in my own community in the sense that my parents are both immigrants from india and i always talk to my mom about her life when she lived in lucknow that's northern india and she would tell me that it's nothing like what we have here i mean obviously because it's india but she would say that everyone worked as a family there was this there's no idea of specific chores or certain people being better suited for certain jobs it was if you're a part of this household you're helping out no one really thought that men are stronger so they must do the job in fact my mom grew up with three other sisters so they were outside doing all the heavy lifting quite literally and the reason i say it developed now is because as i'm living in my own house sometimes i see these things pop up like i'll notice that i'll be doing the dishes and my mom will be cleaning and my brother and my dad will be outside gardening and it'll hit me like yes this is how it is in the sense like this is, these are just the chores we both stood up to do but why why is it that i instinctively went to do the dishes and my brother went to go outside and gardening garden why is it that i always step up to do this and he always steps up to do that is it that we're just both doing work or is it because we've been just constantly told over and over and i say this with air quotes that women belong in the kitchen and men belong outside and you start to think of I didn't even realize this consciously until now. How is that going to affect me and everyone in my community growing up? You think of getting jobs. You think of just being confident as a person. Now, if that's just me, how does that affect people who choose or who not even choose, but who don't fit on that binary scale, who are not just strictly female or strictly male? That's a problem with these types of norms is that and like I said earlier, you're trying to define people on a scale that doesn't exist for all people. It was created just for these white people or just the people who started off this system that doesn't apply to everyone. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And um, a, oh, go ahead. Oh, yeah. oh I was just going to have up a point that Anita and Star both highlighted. Just like first starting off with Star's point about like the hypermasculinization of a black woman. Mm -hmm. I feel like that so like that that the idea that a black woman is less than obviously stems from in systemic racism and then to find to find the what's it called to find a black woman attractive in her sexual being it's so frowned upon now. So people go to such great lengths to masculinize this and masculinize these aspects of black women. And, and then I feel like just navigating through this world as a black trans woman, it's giving me, just speaking about what Anika said about gen, gender uh, binary and those gender roles, it's giving me 
a different outlook on those roles because now I'm like, where do I fit in? What do I, what do I do? I, growing up, I washed the dishes. I did all of it because for different reasons, just because I was the most stable person in the household. So I did most of those chores. Being trans now, it's like, I don't, I'm not a man. And then because of the hyper-masculinization of Black women, sometimes I just don't feel welcomed into the cis Black community. So then I'm like, well, I'm not treated like a woman, so what do I do? You see, and I feel like issues like these are solvable with representation. They're solvable with Black people saying, well, no, it's okay for you not to be a man. It's okay for you not to be a woman. Mm. It's okay for you to just be you. Like, exactly. Like, it doesn't, I don't have to be a woman, even though I am. I don't have to be a woman. I don't have to be a man. I could just be Zane. And that's enough. Right. And, and this is a perfect, yes. Let's, let's clap it up because, yes, y'all are great and amazing people. I'm so grateful to have y'all on this, um, uh, podcast. But I just want to talk about, because this is the perfect segue into like talking about the spaces where we do experience rigid gender roles. For some of us, it may be home. For some of us, it may be other places. I know Zane and I talked about the barbershop. And if y'all know anything about the barbershop, it is not queer friendly ever. Okay. And it needs to be dedicated to the queer experience for it to be queer friendly. I know when I used to go to the barbershop, I, what happened was I had really long hair and that made me appear androgynous because I have a more feminine face, right? So I was being misgendered and called a girl and everything. And I thought that, you know, me not being educated and not having representation, I thought that that was like a horrifying thing to to be misgendered um, and, 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 you know, put on these different binaries and things like that, right? Um, I thought it was a loss of identity. So I was like, I'm cutting this, I'm cutting it off. <laughs> like, and when I cut it off, I had to go to the barbershop to get my hair cut, right? And then after like a few times, I noticed how rigid the barbershop is. Like when you go in, I feel like all queer people have like a radar, like this place is rigid and this place is open. My brain was like, this place, you you can't be here. Like, and it told me like, if you if you got to be here, you have to sh- like literally like protect yourself and not show any aspect of your personality. I tried to be as straight as possible. Um, it, it, it was horrible. I literally dreaded going to the barbershop. Like, I literally, like, would, like, cry in a mirror, because I'm like, oh my god, my hair is growing, I have to go back to, to get my hair cut. Like, it's so bad. Like, and, and I know, for me, that was just one of the many places that the rigid gender norms really just made me feel like I didn't belong. So, yeah, if anybody else want to touch on that. Um. I would like to touch on that, because... I had, it was like an eighth grade where I had begged my mom for a year to cut my hair short. And so when we finally went, we went to a family friend and my mom, she was kind of against me cutting my hair. And so this barber or our our family friend, she cut it, but in like a feminine way. And, you know, I was happy, hair's cut, but I was unhappy. It's not the way I wanted it. Mm. And so I was upset. And then 
you know, she's, my mom has grown to the idea, you know, more masculine features and stuff like shorter hair. And I would go to the barbershop myself. I would choose the place. And I was able to pass as male most of the times. And so they would cut my hair masculine. But at the same time, it's like not the way I want it. So since quarantine, I have been cutting my own hair to the way I want it. And it's been helpful because I could style it the way I want. Yeah. Um, I one of the places that I feel like the most gender, um, what's it called, binary roles, as like in the in the when I was a little kid, the, the what's it called, the barbershop. Obviously, I felt really, really like I was like what Samir said. I felt like I had to pass for straight, and I had a really high pitched voice. Like, and I've been told now that I have a high pitched voice for a guy. I say with air quotes, um, but like, I just, so I just be quiet the whole entire time. One time I went to a new, to a new barber and I dead told him, my, I just stopped talking. And he said, are you mute? And I nodded my head and I didn't speak for the rest of the experience. But now I feel as the trans woman, I feel like earlier on in my transition, I had really short hair. I had like a box type of thing. I was really feeling really gender dysphoric. I remember the first time I went to go and my hair wasn't long enough to braid or anything like that. And I really was, I, I'm really just avid on natural hair and natural hair styles. So like me wearing a wig, it wasn't really in the question for me at that time. Um, so I didn't really pass that well. And Passing is a whole nother thing, but I didn't really pass that well. So I went to the nail dresser and all the women, I picked the hairdresser. I, it was black owned, black ran. It, I, I walked in and they were like, what type of nails do you want? I said, um, some acrylics and I showed her the picture and she was like, you know that's for girls, right? This older black woman told me, you know that's for girls, right? I said, I am a girl. And she said, no, you're not. I said, oh, okay. And she was like, but I, I can do you up real nice. So she went against what I said and she gave me French tips with my natural nails and gave me a manicure. And I walked out. Even now, I feel places that are traditionally female, I feel so unwelcomed. So unwelcomed to the point where like, 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 I'll make sure now I, I do tips and tricks to pass, um, but I'll make sure that I'm wearing my bra. I'm making sure that I do my makeup. I'm making sure that I do my hair before I go anywhere so that I won't, so that I don't have to deal with being trans in those traditionally cis hat female environments. And, and I find myself doing the same things that I did when I was a guy, when I felt like when I identified as a guy, I see myself hiding these aspects of myself because I'm just so not scared, but I'm cautious of the people that I surround myself with just because I know how hard it is to identify and navigate with being a Black trans woman. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for sharing. Um, definitely like I feel 
like there's these these binary ways are not benefiting literally anyone um because humans are naturally non-binary like we like when we're when we come in this world the only thing we really seek is love and compassion from our from our families right how are we suddenly at this point where we're like conforming to gender roles now you know it it like kind of makes no sense and i was talking to anika about this uh maybe like a week a week or two ago you know when i was pulled out of my mom right and the doctor looked at certain sex organs and was like congratulations you have a boy right no <laughs> like why are certain sex organs equating to how someone expresses themselves it like actually makes zero sense like your body parts do not determine how you should express yourself or what story you have to make um the beauty of being human is that you can create your own story and because people are not letting us do this we are literally suffering and also the only we were lacking representation of of like how you know the world actually is come here i'm just gonna pop in and say it for the people in the back i swear the body parts you have do not define you as a person i remember that conversation that samir is referencing and i remember just going along the like saying the things like because you have long hair does that make you a girl now in our society we now have guys with long hair and it's acceptable but i remember growing up like i know i knew one kid with long hair and he used to get picked on so much because of it and they would call him like he's not a guy he's not a girl he doesn't fit in and i felt awful because it's just hair it doesn't matter and something like that seems small now just talking about how long your hair is but then you think about like the way you grow up just like samir said why is it that we define a person before they can speak up for themselves? Why is it that, congratulations, you have a boy, like Samir said, instead of, congratulations, you have a human? Right. With, like, gender reveal parties. Why do we have to do that? I know, I'm not sure if it's already been mentioned, but parents are willing to accept either gender, whether it's a girl or a guy. Um, they're they know that who, whatever type of baby it is, they're going to love and embrace this child. So why is it that the second they're born later on, when they tell you what gender they wish to be, now you all of a sudden cannot accept that? Mm. Or why is it that we only have to choose between two genders? Why does it have to be pink and blue? Why is there not a full rainbow of colors, right? right? Like it's, it's these little traditions that people are not willing to get rid of that hold these types of gender norms that make it so hard for people to break the system altogether. I don't understand uh, gender reveal parties at all. Like, what, what's the point? It's a waste of money. Me neither. Um, it started wildfires, and it has right. not helped anyone whatsoever. I, I feel like it's ridiculously weird to throw a party to find out about basically the sex organs of the baby that's not even born. I, I find that weird. And aren't you embarrassed if the, you throw this whole huge party and it turns out your kid is trans? Mm. Aren't you like, you know what I'm saying? You could save so much time and effort if it was, congratulations, you have a child. 
Right. Let's throw a party on the celebration of me having a child, not whether or not I have a, a prince or a princess or no, just the fact that there's a life that's being born and created in however many months. The, the genitalia of my child is really none of anyone's business besides me, my child's doctor, and my child. Right. Yeah. Right. And I was reading an article the other day that said that we should embrace more, instead of gender binaries, we should embrace gender creativity, right? So gender, so gender reveal parties, maybe instead of like them happening before the child can even speak for themselves, um, maybe when a child starts to create their own story and starts to get to know themselves better, when they choose what direction they want to go, then we can have a reveal party because then it's a celebration of identity, right? It's a celebration of the human experience, right? So may, instead of having it, you know, before a baby can even recognize what they're looking at, <laughs> um, maybe we should have it when a person is, you know, figuring out who they want to be in this world um, that doesn't want them to be who they are, right? But for Zane, like, I wanted to add on to, um, like, me being cisgender and, like, a Black woman, like, I'm really realizing how different being a trans Black woman is to being someone where society like automatically accepts you because you're cisgender. And I really like, I was really hurt that you said that you don't feel comfortable in like both of those kind of places. And I'm just like, dang, like, why do you both of the need to make it their business to box somebody else in? Someone that they, that they don't even know. And I really like look, um, I'm more comfortable in like more feminine places because when I'm in masculine places, it's usually like men that I do not feel comfortable with. I don't like violent men or even like the men in my household, I've never felt comfortable around men my entire life. So I find more comfort in being with girls. So hearing your experience makes me more aware of how we might be treated differently because of how other people see us and their beliefs. So thank you for sharing, sorry. Yes. Can we just give another round of applause, please? Y'all are just amazing. Right before uh, Anika goes, I just want to say thank you, actually, because like you, I feel way more comfortable around women, just around femininity, than I do masculinity. I don't want to really label it because I don't really feel all that comfortable in a platonic sense with like masculinity with men, with just masculine people in general. Um, and, and, and I think that, I know I'm not alone in when I say this, but I speak for trans femmes, specifically black trans femmes. Sometimes it's really hard to be, to feel accepted by cis black women because a lot of cis black women, like you described earlier, don't want to be masculine. So a woman who looks masculine is oftentimes not accepted in communities. Sometimes, and sometimes we just feel alienated because when people ask, like typically black trans women, black women, if they're trans, their go-to is, no, I'm a whole female. Oh no, I'm a, I'm a girl girl. Or, you know, and most times they don't mean anything by it, but things like that often alienate women who don't feel like they pass, who don't feel like they fit into that idea of what a woman should be. And so sometimes it's really hard to be around 
those people when sometimes you don't feel like like they want you around because sometimes because like with me I have like pretty sharp features which is really typical for a black person in general like not even just a black man just a black person in general we typically have sharper features it's just because black women are always hyper masculinized when I'm around black women I'm I'm like all of a sudden I'm their target for the the half the hyper masculinization don't look at me look at that trans girl because she's actually trans she's mm. actually was actually a guy at one point and though it's unintentional sometimes it's harmful Wow. It also is like, I'm so sorry, because it's like the patriarchy. Yeah. Also, it's like committing to Eurocentric ideals, too. Like, exactly. that really makes me think. Because I see it like, all the time on TikTok and Twitter. And they're always trying to cater to, to Black men, too. To Black exactly. men who are creating these harmful stereotypes and all these exactly. harmful ideas. And I'm like, why cater to these bitches? Like, why cater to... <laughs> To these people who don't even get, they, they don't care exactly. about you. Exactly. They don't care about you. Because I have sharper features, I'm a man. Mm. And so crazy how, because um, my I have a, a chiseled jawline or a bigger nose, all of a sudden I'm deemed masculine by these Black men who are describing Black women as things like monkeys and all of that because they got something wrong with them. Because that's their issue. Knowing full and well, your mama look big, big and black like me. Mm. So, you know what I'm saying? And they're trying to cater to these white people, trying to make themselves more palatable for these white girls so they can go off and have little cute mixed babies. Mm. You know, a lot of it is like me and Samir were talking. It's like a domino chain of like events. You know what I'm saying? Like, because some ignorant black dude wants to be ignorant and black and go have babies with these with white people who don't care about him um who will subject subject them to their racist families they want to go in turn and diminish and desexualize black women and then in turn as a scapegoat trans women are also affected by that wow just like and it's kind of like the same thing going back to the conversation earlier about how these white guys on TikToks on TikTok is oh I can go paint my nails now but who, who made it okay for you to do that right. but, but feminine gay guys and who made it okay for them to do that trans women yeah you know what I'm saying so it's just it's just a lot of people feel like this is their idea this is their moment or this is the generation where everything changes no because all of these things that you're finally acknowledging, which is all it is, it's just acknowledgement. The things that you're finally acknowledging have been living, breathing, have been communicating in their own way for years and years and years. Mm. Nobody knew about the ballroom scene until Pose. Right. But ballroom has been around before Pose. Trans women has been around before Pose. Yes. You know what I'm saying? Them on femme gay guy relationships have been around since before then. Mm-hmm. Now, cis het people, typically white people, are finally acknowledging it. All of a sudden, it's a trend. Right. And, and this is a great, first of all, thank you all for speaking. Like, amazing points. Um, 
also just want to talk about, you know, now we know, we hear each other's experiences with gender roles, specifically um, being people of color and having them forced harsh, like, you know, more on us. Um, to In order to help cope with that, we need community, we need family, and we need, you know, a place called home, right? And, you know, reflecting on um, Pose, right, where we have this show where um, it's about queer and trans people of color being ostracized from the church, from their communities, from from um, from their families, right? And being sort of thrown in the New York City streets and having to find it on their own. You know, what does community and family and home mean to y'all? I'm just curious to see um, your answers with that. I haven't seen Pose a lot, but since I've watched the first episode, I've realized the power within community and finding a community where it's safe and they give you support. And I think that's what community means to me. Safety and support. It's a home outside of a home. And you could go to these communities when you're in need or for just love, because I think that's the basis of community. Love. I completely agree with you, Vex. I was talking to Samir about this not too long ago that home is what you make it. And if you've ever heard the saying that your house is not your home and your home is not your house, it's not what you define as family is not biological. It's not related by blood. It's not, sometimes it's not the home you were put into, but it's the people who allow you to be yourself and who will be there to love and protect you. So that way you can continue being yourself. It's not just the people who give you food and water at the end of the day. It's the people who allow you to define yourself, who will go and stick their necks out for you. And it really is disheartening to hear that there's a whole world of people out there who have to fight to find their community, to find their family, to find their home. And I think that's one thing that, Zane, one thing you said that was really powerful is that we say that we're the generation of change, but what we're trying to change has been around for so long. That's something that I'd really like to see going forward that as Gen Z, let's start defining home for everyone. Let's start taking accountability for our own actions and being more accepting of other people, how they choose to live and define themselves so that way they can find their home. If you don't want to be involved with that, that's okay. You're not part of their home, but then don't obstruct their path to find who they are and be who they are. Speak on it. Yes. Anybody else? Reach. <laughs> um, just going back to the question about um, community, I think that a lot of queer people, I don't know if you guys can agree with this, but a lot of queer people don't know or have, can't find their community at a young age, right? I know, I, I, one thing about me though, I've never taken anything lying down. So if there is another community out there for me, I'm one to start the community for me. Um, and that's kind of like the type of work that I do. Like at my school, I go to the military academy, the Philadelphia Military Academy. And just as you can imagine, a whole bunch of homophobic, white, big, white men run that school and I created I create a space for everyone to be in their their own 
just to be them. And I think that's what a community is, just touching on what Zach said and Anika, like a community is a place just to be you, just to be Zane, just to be Samir, just to be Star, just to be Vex. You know what I'm saying? It with with without the shackles of European beauty standards, without the shackles of European gender binary. Because if we're being real here, all of this is all of these these gender binary codes and all of that stem from European standards from white people. Because in Africa, there are gods who are celebrated for being genderless. There are gods who are who are who bestow upon andro androgyny on 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 people in the village, and those people are celebrated. In America, though, we're we're ostracizing and villainizing these people for being tricksters or or things like that. So yeah. a community is a place where you can. It's almost like an escape. Yeah, I wanted to add um, about like community in a home. The pandemic, like going into 2020, like I really, it was honestly traumatic, you know, as all for all of us. But um, like for me specifically, I was realizing like, damn, like, do my parents care about me? Because if they did, then they wouldn't have let these things happen. Do my friends care about me? Because then they wouldn't have let these things happen or they would have helped me at my lowest times. And so I'm realizing like a community or home for me as people who acknowledge and care about my existence and who honor my presence and who honor my voice and what I have to offer. And even if I don't offer anything at all, like they like that I'm still here. Um, it's like when I was volunteering here um, at my local mobile market in my neighborhood, I walked in and they're like, oh my God, star, like, hi, welcome. And I was like, I have never felt this feeling like people, you know, welcoming me, you know, and honoring my labor and what I have to contribute, you know, not just seeing me as someone who, you know, is just like another volunteer. Like they asked you, like, you know, welcome me inside the place. And they said, we're so happy to see you. Right. And they didn't even know me like that. Like, it was like my third time coming there. So it was like things like that really make my heart warm. Just like um, in Thrive. Um, yes. Next, next mm -hmm. Like that was an experience because like school is usually like such an isolating place for me like it is so full of obviously like gender norms and Eurocentric beauty you know beauty standards and then Thrive it was just like a bunch of diverse kids the same age as us like you know being who they are and embracing their queerness and whoever they want to be yeah. so yeah yeah and I was just about to touch on that like sort of like one of the the first sense senses of community I've gotten was from PA Youth Vote was the organization that me and Nika are a part of and also Thrive, right? Like those were like literally like when I took a break because I was doing Thrive from PA Youth Vote, when I came back, they're like, Oh my god, hey, like we haven't seen you in so long. I'm just like, Oh my goodness, like these people actually care, right? Like they actually value your existence. Like they allow you to come as you are. You don't have to morph or be anything that you're not to fit the expectations of these people. You come as you are and your mind is community oriented and we're all trying to, you know, better each other, right? And I feel like, you know, places like that are where the queer people always, like they will always be at those places because 
um, we grew up in a world that that literally operates off of the exact opposite of queerness. It wants everyone to be sort of the same binary way and have the same thoughts and, and only be, you know, you know, have a money making mentality and only be, you know, technology driven and all that. And, you know, and it's like, um, you know, when you were put in communities, you're forced to, you know, accept the people. Right. And that's why queerness belongs in communities. That's why historically, like we've all like the ballroom scene was a place of community for working class queer people of color. Like these people were starving and they still went to the balls to be their authentic selves because the world didn't allow them to do that. Right. Um, and and we can talk about how that world, you know, we we say that it has changed a lot, which it has, because this podcast is one reason, you know, why we can say this world has been changing. But black trans women have been still like they're they're still getting murdered, right? Just for existing. And this this world is obviously teaching us do not be queer, um, comply with the heteronormative standards that the white people four hundred years ago created for you, you know? And it's not it's not okay. Um, yeah, and I feel like this generation now is trying to take away from what being queer is. Like, I feel like it's, now it's, let's be queer because, not that it's a trend, because I, I'd hate to minimize anyone's experience like that, but because it's different. Because, because we were rebels or things like that, and it makes it, it dwindles what being queer actually is. Not to say that those people aren't queer, just to say that there's more to being queer than being different. There's more to being queer than going against the norms. Queer isn't just a lifestyle. This is, this, these are people's identities. These are people's lives, deaths. These are people's first and last breaths. It's not just a, it's, a different thing now you know people have died have have lived and died for people like me and samir and vex and everyone on this call to exist the way that we do and oftentimes when we're thinking about what being queer is like currently we say oh thank god it's 2021 but the people in the 80s have to sit there and fight for us to be here in 2021 you know, and oftentimes those facts, those lives are not put away, but erased. Really, they're erased from the story because now it's, thank God for 2021, let's tackle pronouns. People genuinely believe that the, the sole issue of trans issues is pronouns. If we tackle using correct pronouns, then trans issues are gone. Trans issues are done. Trans issues are solved. And they're not. Yeah, totally. Oh, go ahead, Star. <laughs> I wanted to add, like, oh my God, this is a perfect segue to talk about, like, activism. What right. does modern activism mean today? What is performative activism? Mm -hmm. Because um, back in middle school, like, I was such a hardcore, like, SJW. In that term, I had like a whole Instagram account. Like I would post so many things. Like I would get into arguments about people 
like all the time like it wasn't it was so exhausting now I look back at it but it was just like I was just reposting things I didn't really take the time to pick apart what this post meant or what this person's comment meant I didn't take time to look at credible sources or to look at articles or read even read books about um wars that were going on or um the type of politics or what society what's happening in my society and community um so that too and just also like with a lot of um performative activism i feel like you know if you don't know what you're talking about maybe take a step back and look at the issue first and try to dissect it because i feel like a lot of um people who have big platforms like they feel forced to like push everything out but you know what, if you know that what you're going to say is, you know, probably empty, you know, empty or like, you know, kind of like airhead type, maybe look at the issue, research about it, make sure you're not disrespecting people who are involved in the issue, you know? Right. And Star, you bring up such a good point. One of the things we talk about, one of our missions and our values at PA Youth Vote is activism and speaking up and speaking out. And just stepping back from just talking about queerness in general, whenever you are being an activist, it's not just a word to make you sound better or throw on a resume or however you want to use it. You have to remember that there's a certain purpose. And one of the biggest things that I want our listeners to understand is how to listen and how to learn. Just like you said, how, learn how to take a step back and how to understand. One of the things I'm thinking of is, I think it was last February that the whole trend with posting a black square on Instagram went around. And um, I remember at first, I didn't really, like I knew why people were doing it. And I thought, oh, this is a great idea. Like, look at all the awareness that's being posted. But then I saw the statistic where it said like, George Floyd's funds and the amount of black squares that were posted did not match up. There were millions of black squares posted, but the funds and petitions signed was, I don't know, maybe thousands, just covering a million at that time. And it makes you think of, if you're going to be an activist, you have to, first of all, know what you're talking about, and then actually have the intention of helping. Otherwise, it is 100% okay, and I'm gonna repeat that, it is always okay to just take a step back and let others sort of do the talking and help you learn. So that way you, if you really do want to be an activist, have a better, more educated platform to speak up on. I completely agree. Um, like Star, when I, before I um, acknowledged my transness, um, because my trans, I hate to say before I was trans, because my trans identity was always a part of me, but it was a part of me that I hid. But when I acknowledged it and started to live in it, um, before then, I was, uh, I would say that I was a performative activist. I mean, I did do a lot of campaign work for and police brutality, but beside that, I was, it was, oh, um, this third world country needs help post an Instagram post about it, repost it. You know what I'm saying? But a lot of people need to realize that activism comes out of necessity. It's not just something that people, like, like people choose to do it, yes. 
but it comes because it needs to be done. These are things that need to be addressed. So when people don't feel that necessity, they sometimes feel like a moral obligation to repost an Instagram picture or repost or, or like a couple of comments. That's not activism. That's not solving. When you're not adding to the conversation, you're just there. You're not helping and you're getting in the way. It's always up. It's always, there's always the option of taking yourself out of the conversation when you have nothing to contribute and come back when you do have something to contribute. That's how change works. Not when, when you, you can't just sit there in the middle of the conversation and contribute nothing because then you're wasting everyone's time. We're not changing anything. We're sitting there and talking about nothing. When you educate yourself, when I, I started to, the world changed for me when I became trans, when I acknowledged my transness, my identity spoke to me and then the problems that I was facing forced me into activism because I'm, I'm again, I'm the type of person to fight. So it forced me into activism. So it forced me to do my research. It forced me to learn, just like many other queer people. When you don't know something about a topic, don't sit there and act like you do. It's okay to take a step back. It's okay to do things the proper way. You don't have to jump in head first. I think that's something that Aniko was trying to highlight. It's okay to take a step back. Even for people who are activists, it's okay to take a step back, take a breather. So you don't, if you exhaust yourself before the fight, you can't keep fighting. You know? So it's important that people understand that message. Yes, um, that was just great. And I think you touched on an important topic, how like, like knowing your history, it makes you understand the world a little bit differently, right? The game changed for me when I watched Paris is Burning, which is like the documentary that inspired Pose. Um, when I watched it and I just saw sort of how queer people of color found community while being homeless, while starving, while being working class, while being, you know, sex workers, you know, because that was the norm back then. Um, like, it sort of, like, you know, lit a fire in me. I was like, this is a life that I should be grateful for because um, this is like eccentricity, you know? Like, I have something to offer to every space I go into now because of my queerness, right? And everyone does at the end of the day, but like, queer people are taught that they have nothing to offer. And in fact, they're taught that they're, you know, an abomination, right? So, I, you know, acknowledging that I do have something to contribute to this world was a reason why I did things like, you know, come up with the idea to start this podcast episode, right? So it's like, I feel like knowing your history is so important, right? And one of the game changers I learned, um, which is what we can talk about uh, right now is, how queer and trans rights are rights for everyone, right? Because trans people give everyone new definitions of how to live their life. So when, especially when cishet men are talking about, well, why should I be an activist for trans women? Um, you're getting the benefit. The reason why we saw people, um, specifically cishet white men, um, wearing dresses and, and, and painting their nails is because trans and queer people have been doing that 
for years, decades. Like, um, so yeah, so let's talk about how, you know, um, queer and trans rights are rights for everyone, if anyone has anything to say about that. One thing that popped up in my head really quickly is um, like straight, um, like cis hat men just um, wearing dresses and like jokingly trying to portray themselves as feminine. And they can do that at the expense of trans people and trans women. And I realized that, you know, like that is a privilege for people to be like, haha, you're joking. And to really do that because they don't take um, trans people's existences as honorable or as something that belongs on, on this earth and in our communities. You know, I wholeheartedly agree because um, I've experienced being one of those straight cishet, I say with big air quotes, guys who were joking about being gay, who were joking about being feminine and all of that. And then there's the reality of living it. And now I get so upset. I got so upset when I when I when I acknowledged my transness and I lived in my transness. I got so upset seeing that these someone like Harry Styles sat there and took all the credit for him coming up with this idea from wearing a poofy pink skirt in a field of grass. He took that idea. He took an idea. He he took that idea, that concept, and claimed it as his. When in reality, people who look like me paved the way for him to even step into that grass field with that squirt, with that skirt in public and then post it on a national magazine. That was something that people came from, like Samir said, my ancestors set the way for. And I see no reparations specifically for Black trans women because typically Black trans women you can find a Black trans woman at every end of almost every form of activism. You can find a queer person, typically a trans femme, at almost every end of every form of activism. Then when it comes to trans lives, y'all got nothing. We got nothing. The, the average life expectancy for a trans woman is 34 years old, on average. There was around about 600 trans women who were murdered last year and about 400, 200 of those cases were solved. There's not, there's not much to say, trans lives matter. And until trans lives matter, the rest don't. They can't, they literally cannot exist without black trans women. The, the queer community would be still out, still out hiding without black trans women, there would be, without trans women in general, without trans people, the, com the very same communities that we're talking about, that we're reclaiming space for, would still be in the woodworks, would still be hiding, would still be, hoes wouldn't exist. Great gay marriage, equal rights, wouldn't exist. Those, these are, and, and, and people say, oh, trans lives matter, but they don't mean trans lives matter because 
when we say trans lives matter, not only do we mean that our deaths matter, we mean that our identities, our existence in this world matters. We are valid and we, are, we should be treated as such. We should be afforded the same luxuries as our cis counterparts, as our straight white counterparts, regardless of if we pass, regardless of if anything, we should be afforded those same luxuries. That's what it means when trans lives matter. Yes, period. Can we, like, let's, let's just, um, I don't know if Vex, if you had anything else to say before I, like, move it to the um, avenues of change, how we can, like, actually start changing. I don't think I have much, like, education on this topic mm. yet. So, but, you know, as, as y'all were mentioning, like, uh, stepping back, and learning right. and listening. Period. But yeah. It was it was wonderful to hear you guys talk to like I've I, I still I need to watch Pose because I feel like I would learn a lot. Mm -hmm. Yes. Um Pose was a game changer for me. Um so you know now we're sort of talking about how you know queer and trans rights are rights for everyone and how trans rights especially sort of paved the way um for the rest of the dominoes to fall, right? So how can we actually start, you know, embracing our individuality, especially when it comes to queerness, right? Because society wants us to not to be, be queer. So, you know, um, feel free to share your journeys with, you know, coming to embrace, you know, your individuality, your eccentricity, your whatever, the thing that makes you you. Um, so we can just inspire, you know, our listeners. Um, yeah anybody want to go i can start um for me it was kind of like i started writing poetry um in like the beginning of the pandemic and it was mostly to like overcome my trauma and to like understand parts of my family and like my origins and my existence and um, so that was really, and a lot of um, poets, um, you know, that are queer, like I also, I read some too, and it's just like, it really inspired me because a lot of things was, a lot of the things that I was talking about were my feelings, um, were feelings that I was pushing down and that I didn't want to talk about, like I, would, I didn't want to bring it to the open or embrace, or that like, you know, my friends didn't even know. And that's like the thing I feel like um, I learned a lot about friendship and what that actually means um, because your friends will not know you unless you know you actually present your authentic self and they won't really like it, it'll feel empty because they don't really know who you are um, and that's like what you know I've talked to my friends about like and we've been trying to like you know connect with and then also what else also with my hair, like I used to literally always get braids, you know, as a black girl, like with an African mom, they like, I literally they, like she perm my hair and like I cut it off because it was so damaged. Um, and then like it started going back and like, you know, it's healthy and it's cute now. Um, so yeah, I really tried to embrace that. And also like, I just go out in the sun sometimes just lay there. And because, you know, I like my dark skin now, I embrace my melanin. And I think, you know, being who I am now is beautiful. So, yeah. 
Yes, thank you for sharing your beautiful story. Um, yeah, yeah, that was beautiful. Um, I think that one thing that we can do to try to, you know, help people come into their own. One thing is just these, these dissecting like this idea that you there's one way to be queer, there's one way to be gay, or there's only these two ways to be gay. There's only this one way to be trans. This one. The sooner that you accept yourself for who you are, regardless of labels, let yourself be you. And then if there are labels that match with you, let the labels come after. There doesn't have to be a label for you to be you. If there is a label, okay, great. If you feel comfortable with that label, okay, cool. But you're not gonna be able to feel or be yourself until you let all of that go. There is no way that you can sit there and be like, okay, I'm gay, that's it. And I have to be gay this way. No, there's, there's different ways to be gay. There's just a way to be yourself, one way to be yourself. And once you find that, then the label will come. Then the category, if there's a category for you, then it will come. I remember thinking that when I came out as gay, I was like, I'm not really gay though. I know I like women, but I'm just so feminine. I, I assume that no woman would want to be with a feminine presenting guy. And then the deeper that I dove, the realized that I realized that I was so uncomfortable with being called handsome. And when people would call me she or misgender me, supposedly at that time, I, would, I wouldn't feel misgendered. I'd, I'd respond as if they were talking to me appropriately. And I remember when I let go of the label, there was a brief moment when I went by they, them pronouns. I was just like, don't address me by a gender. Don't anything. I just address me as Zane. I want to know what that feels like. I felt so euphoric because from there I got to create who I was. From there, I got to add on parts to me that I wanted. I got to take off parts that I relinquish trauma, relinquish, you know, the bad energy of being a man in this world. And I flourished into this person. And now not only does it help me with like Wistar saying, with friendships, with setting boundaries and maintaining relationships, when you let all of these societal like like boxes go, you just you're just you're just left with you. And that's the only person that you have, the only thing that you have to develop. You know, that's just my thoughts. Yeah. I relate with you so much, Saint. Because, um, yeah, like, you don't have to put a label on yourself. If none of them fit you, you can just be you. And I know labels help with some people. It helped me, uh, you know. And you don't have to put yourself in another box. You just left one. So don't put yourself, or you don't have to put yourself in another one. Because that that's what labels are. They're like another box with you know a mark on them like oh gay box the lesbian box 
the trans box, you know, you don't have to go into either one. You can be outside of it and be who you are. And also finding myself, like I came out as lesbian before I realized, um, you know, that maybe I'm not a female. And I've also had, you know, I disliked the she, her pronouns so much. So I tried he, hims. And it, people would, you know, with my short hair and with the way I dress, uh, before I, you know, realized I was non-binary, uh, people would still call me he, him. And that was great. I, unless I was with family, because it felt weird. But when I'm alone, it felt awesome. And I just felt happier. Um, and then I was like, okay, I want to try date them. Because I'm not really a man. I'm not really a female. But then now I'm like, I want to transition. And so I'm just using this as kind of like a neutral ground for everyone and for myself. And so when I transition, I will be more comfortable with he hims, and it will be easier for people as well who don't know I'm they them. And uh, I'll probably, you know, be a mix of like he, they, and use both pronouns. But yeah. Yes, thank you. Um, I know I'm with. Sharing. Oh. <laughs> sorry um but i know with yeah. i know with me and, and my story um i as what star was saying about relationships how you know they, they they're healthier when you present your authentic self that's where i learned that i wasn't being authentic actually i, I was in a relationship with with a guy and it was very bad like i'm not gonna just <laughs> like it was it was horrible and i think just sort of that that like in my brain because of all the the the, the queer trauma and everything i thought that masculine meant perfect match <laughs> um and that's that wasn't the case so i you know i was with this guy and every time i would be around him it would almost i would almost be unrecognizable like i would be so quiet wouldn't have nothing to contribute i was literally a robot like literally he never saw me laugh like and after that like i was just like actually it was i was on a trolley and i was listening to a song called supercut by lord and she's like in my head there was a supercut of us right and i'm like why do i literally like him better when i'm not with him right like when i'm actually with him i'm like oh this how it is this is horrible um like so so then i'm just like okay literally he's just some some perfect vision that all queer people are fed through media that being masculine is the most powerful most attractive way to be right and i was like this is just ridiculous i can't do this no more like i'm done performing you don't even know who i am um and then like after just sort of taking some time to reflect like where are the places where th that sort of feels the same as this relationship and i identified the barbershop right this relationship the home environment track practice there's so many masculine places i can identify where i don't feel like i belong and then and then my embracing my story was like it's not that i don't belong right because queer people belong everywhere we don't need people to accept us because when we accept ourselves, that's where the power comes in. 
and for anybody listening to this, right, it's not that you're afraid of what other people are thinking of you. It's that you're afraid of your own power. When you accept yourself, you will be one of the most powerful people you probably will ever know. Um, and you'll take hold of so many new spaces that you never thought were, were possible. Um, and you'll find your own community, you'll find your home, you'll find your family. Um, and I think that is is how you know queer people take back their lives because we don't start off by living our lives, we live the lives of our other people, right? You belong everywhere in every single space because you are a human. Um, so yeah, that's what I have to say about that. Um, yeah, Anika, you, you better preach. Oh, you yes. better preach. Yeah, exactly. yeah. Yes, I think oftentimes, like in the media, being queer is romanticized, and mm -hmm. being being like the coming out story, for example love what's it called like love simon love, love victor or something love like simon. that oh, <laughs> simon that is not how it's going to be no being queer at times can be lonely especially when you're coming into it originally i was the only openly gay person in middle school and i was bullied relentlessly hmm. but i found my community I made a community for myself. I found my community. And that part of it's beautiful. Being queer is a difficult thing to do because we live in a white heteronormative society. So being the thought of being trans, the thought of being different is scary until it isn't anymore. Until it's a necessity for you because you know that you're different and almost everyone else knows that you're different. So it's time for you to be yourself, even if that person is different. Being yourself, being queer is a journey. Not even being queer, just being yourself, finding yourself, being queer or not is a journey. And there's ups and downs, just like a roller coaster. Mm. But once you accept yourself, it's only up from there. Mm. You know, that's when you take your space back, reclaim your space back. And that's it. That's once you accept yourself, no one can tell you nothing. You're there. You're present. You're you're just a person being and existing. And the pressures of who you are or what you want is gone. I'm speechless by everything you guys are saying. It's just so powerful. Um, for me, I guess. The one thing I really want to reiterate to all of our listeners is just be unapologetically yourself. And that's 100% easier said than done. It's hard to come out as who you truly are in a household or an environment or a school system that you don't know will accept you. But I'm telling you this right now from everything that I've been hearing and from my own experiences through like just other um like breaking out of these, like trying people trying to label you, you can't keep waiting for the right moment. Sometimes, unfortunately, that right moment never comes. And it's up to you to really take that step and to just take that leap of faith because you cannot find that home, that community that we talked about until you accept yourself and start loving yourself for the person that you truly are and want to be. So, don't be afraid. 
If it helps to find a friend or a family member or a neighbor or heck, even a cat or dog or whatever, just Uh find your outlet and then make that leap. You're not alone. All of us are here with you and that you can do it. And I wanted to say, don't let the past confine you. If you know you have things to unpack in order to become your true authentic self, then work on that and make sure you're dedicating time to that. But do not let your past self confine you. Just want to say that. Yes, and it's important for marginalized groups to get therapy. Goodness gracious, I can't emphasize that enough. Get some therapy. (laughs) Just hopping off of the start before we end, I just want to say that though being queer or being different is a part of your identity. It doesn't have to be your entire identity. Right. I am Zane, a queer Black trans woman. And before I'm queer, before I'm Black, before I am trans, I'm Zane. Zane has ambitions. Zane has goals. Zane has dreams, as she should. You can be queer, you can be gay, you can be bi, omni, ace, non-binary, gender fluid, and you can still exist in this world, mark your territory, and be successful in your own way while being queer. There is no choice. You do not have to choose either or. Once you accept one part of yourself, you're unstoppable. That's, That's all I want the listeners to hear. Period. Um, um, yes. I, let's give another round of applause, please, y'all, because this was just amazing. I'm so grateful to be alive right now and like being able to be in the same space with y'all. Um, yeah, I just wanted to say that this podcast will be a source of community, a source of belonging for someone who you know, is in the earlier stages of finding themselves or creating their own story. And I think that is what matters. Um, You know, being that representation that we didn't have. Um, So yeah, and I guess that um, marks the, I'm about to cry, (laughs) that marks the end of, uh, yeah, this this, um, discussion. I just want to thank everyone here today just for speaking up about your experiences and your demands to the world um there's just so much that we can learn that i hope all of our listeners were able to learn and just relate to this you don't have to be part you don't have to figure out who you are yet to be able to understand and really take away from this podcast so i encourage you to go back listen to that one part that really spoke out to you and just use this to your advantage use this to however you can be truthfully yourself and I hope everyone here is able to go forward with that same message and just really live on that yeah um so yeah thank you all for listening to coming as you are um the queer experience and I hope y'all have a good rest of your day